1 Peter 4, verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. The first vision that Daniel had of the four beasts coming out of that stormy sea, he was able to see and understand certain things about it. He knew from what he was being told that these are the kingdoms that are following the Babylonian kingdom. Babylonia and kingdom was part of that, that deal. And he was able to see both from God's perspective and man's. And those are two different perspectives. God looks at us totally different than we see ourselves. He basically understood that each of the beasts represented the kingdoms to come. However, that fourth one really disturbed him. It bothered him, something fierce. He did not understand the creature. He did not understand the teeth of iron. He did not understand the claws. But what had him most disturbed was that one strange horn that popped up and replaced the three. Daniel 7, verse 8. While I was thinking about the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them. And three of the previous horns were plucked out before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like human eyes and a mouth uttering great boast. He was having a hard time understanding why such a thing would be allowed to blaspheme God and persecute the people. Why, God? I don't understand. He was told that it would be allowed to do such a thing along with trying to change the times and laws. Alter time for a time, times, and half a time before it would be thrown down. Daniel's thoughts were greatly alarming to him, so much so that his appearance changed. Daniel 7, verses 19 and 20. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder of its feet. And the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, and before which the three of the horns fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boast, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I really believe that his curiosity was getting the better of him. He was wanting to really know about this fourth beast, but more about that horn. Well, God provided him with greater detail. And that's what we saw in his second vision, the one that we went over last week. I believe that Daniel learned a little bit more about this horn than he really wanted to know. Isn't that how it always is with us? We get curious about something or we start to wonder and ponder about something that we don't understand and we ask to be shown or told more about it. And then when we are, we're like going, oh, I really didn't want to know that. Now I have too much information. We looked last week at the one person who fit that description and is known as the Antichrist of the Old Testament, Antiochus IV, Epiphanes. A smooth talker and a downright nasty guy who did everything he could to persecute the Jews. And he did this through multiple ways. 
He ended up building all kinds of altars and shrines and stuff all over Jerusalem and the surrounding communities. And he said, you'll worship at these. You will not worship your God. He lied a lot to them. He even said, if you circumcised your children as you were told to do, he killed them. He stole the women. He killed, just a horrible person. Even worse, he showed them how to not worship God. The blasphemies that he did before God it said himself was just atrocious. Once that you would think, oh my gosh, God, why would you let this dude live? Just like Daniel, wondering about that horn. This man sacrificed swine on the altar. He put a statue of himself in the temple and made the people worship. But you know, he could not have done this if God had not allowed it. He could not have done this with the, uh, to the people if God didn't say there's a reason behind it. A horrible person. Daniel 8, verses 13 and 14. How long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply? While the offense causes horror so as to allow both the sanctuary and the army to be trampled. And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be properly restored. For Daniel to see and hear what was going to take place really took its toll on him. It was so bad that he was exhausted and sick for numerous days. Sick to his stomach. Tired. And yet, he still got up out of the bed and went about his daily business. Working for the king. But you see, his daily business wasn't just working for the king, now was it? Because he prayed three times a day. That was part of his business too. Worshiping God was part of his business. The ancient scrolls, when you look at them, they're not like our Bibles today. There is just the name of a book. There's no chapters. There's no verses. It's a running story. And this week, as we're getting ready to go into Daniel 9, I look at this and I, I said, you know, both parts of this, there's a, basically two parts to the Daniel 9. One is Daniel's prayer, and the second is the 70 weeks of Daniel, and both of them are extremely important. And I said, well, I'm going to have to take and split this into two weeks in order to give justice to both of them, to both parts of this, without rushing through. The prayer that Daniel prays is one of the most powerful in the Old Testament, in my opinion. I rank it right up there, right up there with the one in the New Testament, you know, that one that Jesus prayed in John 17. It's the most compassionate and powerful prayer around. So with that, let's pick up with Daniel 9, verses 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the Median Death's descendant, descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. 
for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Daniel was an amazing man. He is a governor in this huge kingdom, one of several, he's in charge of all the other governors. He made time to pray three times a day minimum, morning, noon, and night. And now we learn that even amongst that, being the busy man that he is, he even takes time to study the scripture. I don't know about you, some of us have extremely busy lives. But if Daniel has the time to pray and study scripture along with doing his regular job and worshiping God, I think most of us have that same time. We just need to learn to make it. Daniel was, well, he was reading the prophet, Jeremiah, and he read something that caught his attention. And I think he became extremely excited. And I can understand this because I know that when something is revealed to me when I'm studying the word, I get pretty excited myself, almost at a point where I'm, I can't even stand to be beside myself. I'm just bouncing, and I can't wait to tell Amy. I can't wait to talk about it in a message because I'm just so excited. Look at what God revealed. You know, prophecy is meant to be understood, perhaps not in great detail because, well... That takes time for it to be revealed. But you have kind of an understanding and it's revealed to us. But it certainly is meant to be understood in its main points. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. You see, Daniel, he didn't have this to read when he was around. Well, why not? Because, well, this was written in the New Testament times. But he sure applied the meaning behind this in his life. He understood. When you get into the Scriptures, when you're studying God's Word, exciting things happen. Things are revealed that you're able to share with others. Things you're able to understand that's important for that day and time. Daniel knew that effective prayer comes out of knowing and praying both God's word and our present circumstances. His study of the prophecy showed him a specific number, that number 70. 70 years as inscribed in Jeremiah 25 verses 11 through 13 and Jeremiah 29 10. And his knowledge of the times that he was living in, he said, wow, he's applied it right now. Well, what did it say in Jeremiah 25, verses 11 through 13? <laughs> this entire land will be a place of ruins and an object of horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Then it will be, when the 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon, and that nation declares the Lord for their wrongdoing. And the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations. And Jeremiah 29.10 says, For this is what the Lord says when the 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. 
That's exciting to him. Oh my gosh, look what God told Jeremiah. It applies to my time right now. He's excited. It's important to note that Daniel regarded these as real, literal years. They were in no way understood as symbolic years. Daniel was undoubtedly familiar with Isaiah's prophecies concerning Cyrus. Oh, wait a minute. Isn't he the guy that's right around now? Cyrus? Well, let's see. Isaiah 44, uh, 28 through 45, verse 4. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he will carry out all my desire. And he says of Jerusalem, she will be built and of the temple, your foundation will be laid. He must have been encouraged to see a man named Cyrus rise in power over Persia. This is what the Lord says to Cyrus is anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to undo the weapons belt on the waist of kings, to open doors before him so the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars and I will give you the treasure of the darkness and hidden wealth of the secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name for the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one. I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. Wow, the 70 years. It's here now. This guy Cyrus, the king of, of Persia, I know him. This is all addressing now in my time. Daniel would be, had believed that God would accomplish 70 years of captivity, yet he prayed passionately that God would do what he promised to do. Bring them home and restore the temple. They do not exclude our prayers, and uh, Daniel knew that God's promises invite our prayers and participation. When you know what God's going to do, it does not mean you do not have to pray anymore. They do not exclude our prayers and participation. But did you know that there is an important second reason why Daniel asked God about this? In his mercy to take the earliest of all possible starting points. Well, you might be thinking, well, what do you mean starting points? Well, remember, uh, Jerusalem was attacked in three different waves. In that first wave, in 605 BC is when Daniel and his companions were taken. Then they came back a little while later in 597 and took the treasure from the temple. And then finally, because Israel was still not doing what they were supposed to do, in 587, Jerusalem fell and the temple was destroyed. So Daniel's here saying, God, please let it be the earliest time when I was taken that the 70 years started. Let it be at that point in time, not the latter. There's an 18 year difference. There was still three or four years before the 70 years if it was from the time he was taken. It's close. He feels it and he begins to pray about it. Even though God already has a plan in place, everyone should be taking an active role in that plan. 
An example, God's plan of the ages is declared. It's, all we've got to do is read the book. All we have to do is read. Daniel, he prayed. Jeremiah was given a prophecy. Daniel prayed and well, Cyrus made a proclamation when the time came. Oh, you read about me, huh, in Isaiah. Well, here, go back. Take these people and go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding. Well, we, we've read our Bibles the way we need to. We know what happened when that took place. Trouble stirred up. And Cyrus still had a chance to put it down. We have an active role to play in God's plan. If God's calling you to preach or be a missionary, whatever, you're out in the front lines. But is that for everybody? No. More people are behind the scenes. And what are they doing? They are living their everyday lives, showing who Christ is. So that they can see and recognize there's something better. We have prayer warriors. They're so far behind the scenes that I bet you couldn't identify half the prayer warriors you know. You might be surprised at who all are prayer warriors. In his approach to God, he made a request asking God to perform his promise in the way that Daniel thought would bring God the most glory. We all take that active participation. Daniel 9.3, So I gave attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and pleading with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel had a goal to reach through prayer. It's what he wanted to do. And he approached God as a man who would not be denied whatsoever. He did this because he was rightly convinced that his prayer was in the will of God. When we pray, do we take that attitude? Do we take the attitude of God, I'm praying to you and I expect you to answer and do what's best in your will? Do you take that attitude? Or is it just, eh? Here, listen, let me give you lip service. He did this because he was rightly convinced that his prayer was in the will of God. Daniel wasn't passive as God's prophetic plan unfolded before him. In his approach to God, he made a request asking God to perform his promise. Oh, there's another one of them big keys to prayer. If you know what God's promised, do you think he's forgotten? God, I know exactly what you promised, and I'm asking you to fulfill that promise. Is that bold? Is that demanding? Is that telling God you will do it or else? No. That is letting God know. I know what your word says and what you promised, and I know that you have never failed a promise, and I'm asking you to fulfill it. Daniel thought, God, whatever you're doing, Whatever you're going to do, just please let it just bring the glory to you. Isaiah 66, 2. For my hand made all these things, so all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But I will look to this one, at one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. 
Fasting, sackcloth, and ashes are emblems of humiliation and, and, and mourning. This reflected Daniel's humble heart in approaching God. Daniel 9.4 For my hand made all these things, so all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But I will look at this. Forgot to. I had a, a, a glitch. Let's go. Daniel 9.4 I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, O oh Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and faithfulness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Daniel began his prayer where all of us should. Recognizing the greatness and awesome power of God. He's an awesome God. That's who we worship. That's who we pray to. Sometimes we approach God as if he were a stingy person who was not willing to give up anything. Well, I'm going to beg and I'm going to plead. And I know that you, you don't answer a lot of my stuff. Why not? Why doesn't God answer a lot of your prayers? Maybe it's because we're coming to him the wrong way. But you see, Daniel knew the problem was not with God. It was with him and the people. It wasn't God being stingy. It's because God's not stingy. God's loving and merciful and gracious. But it's us, the people, when we're not following what God wants us to do then prayers don't really get answered too well. Daniel's prayer was remarkable for both its understanding and earnestness. Now, what does it mean to be earnest in our prayers? Well, earnest praying is intelligent prayer. The word earnest, sufferaneo, comes from the term that literally means to be in one's right mind. It has the idea of being under control mentally. This is the believer who thinks through and evaluates what he or she is praying about, filtering the prayer through the scriptures and through reason. You can pray to win the lottery. Is that in God's will, though? Is that in scripture? God, you said in the scriptures you're going to make me win the lottery. I dare you to show me where it says that. But see, along with that, earnest praying is discerning prayer. Remember, we just said that the word earnest, sophereneo, stresses a clear-headed sensibility that allows a person to appraise a situation and act appropriately. It's examining the situation as accurately as possible and praying accordingly. If a good friend or a relative died, can I say, God, bring them back to life? Is that an appropriate prayer? Well, if they're a Christian, they're already brought back to life. They're with God. In a better life to boot. But can I ask for something and pray about something that's so unreasonable and expect God to fulfill it? Many pray with understanding, but not earnestness. Others are earnest, but have no understanding in prayer. But when you combine the two, 
It's a powerful thing. It's powerful. Daniel 9, verses 5 and 6. We have sinned. We have done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our leaders, our fathers, and all the people of the land. As Daniel confessed to what was taking place, did you once see him pray as they're the ones that did it? They did not do your, follow your commandments or ordinances. It wasn't me. I'm Daniel. I'm perfect. I pray to you three times a day. I read your word. I witness for you, God. No, that's not how he did it. He said we. He included himself in the group. How guilty was Daniel? Wasn't very guilty at all. But you know, he's still part of the human race, which means he's not perfect. And if he's not perfect, then God looks at it as a sin. He includes himself in the wrong. Now, we don't know anything about Daniel before he was taken captive. Nothing whatsoever. We're pretty sure he's a good upstanding in our times and words, Christian young man, because he went to God when he was in a captive and said, don't make me, you know, let me what I need to eat, do this so that you can see God's going to take care of it all. His life is a good witness for what he is. Claiming innocence and trying to dissociate ourselves from others is just wrong. Yeah, you may not be doing the thing that if Gary's doing something wrong, I might not be part of what Gary's doing, but you know what? It's still a we thing because I'm not necessarily innocent. Oh, did I go up to Gary and say, Gary, you, met, you messed up here. You need to repent. Or did I let him keep on doing it? Hmm. That would make me guilty, just as guilty as Gary. And I like picking on Gary. I'm sure he'd pick on me too if he had the chance. <laughs> They prayers never, uh, never really reach God. If it's they, they, not me, they did this thing, those are the ones that they don't really reach God. Genuine we prayers see self correctly in our fellow saints with compassion. Daniel's confession of sin might seem phony until we realize how passionately and completely he is focused on God. Compared to God, even the most righteous among us falls far short. Daniel 9, 7. Righteousness belongs to you, Lord, but to us open shame, as it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel, who uh, those who are nearby and those who are far away and all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Daniel knew that Israel's sin was not God's fault. God didn't tell him to go sin. God was utterly righteous and blameless. It was the people. Any shame of faith belonged to Israel, not to God. 
It would be easy to complain to God about Israel's problems, but Daniel didn't think for a moment that God was too hard on Israel. Just like if we got into major trouble and something was going on in our own country, I wouldn't think that God's too hard on us either. God was completely righteous and any failure was on Israel's side. Instead of complaining, Daniel confessed. During times of great revival among God's people, the Holy Spirit always brings this deep conviction and awareness of sin. Every single person in this room has felt that at one point or another in their lives. You felt convicted of something. When, we, when it is responded to rightly, confession is appropriately made. Baptist scholar and preacher James Edwin Orr stated, and I will read this verbatim, if you sin secretly, confess secretly, admitting publicly that you need the victory, but keeping details to yourself. If you sin openly, confess openly to remove stumbling blocks from those whom you have hindered. If you have sinned spiritually, prayerlessness, lovelessness, and unbelief, as well as their offspring, criticism, etc., then confess to the church that you have been a hindrance. He gave an example in this when I was, after I had read this, and see, in 1952, he was in Brazil at a revival, and he was sitting there next to this pastor, this Brazilian pastor, and this woman stood up during the revival and said, Please pray for me. I need to love people more. The pastor shook his head gently and said, this is not a, a confession, sister. Anyone could have said it. She sat down. Later on in the service, she stood up again. And uh, she said, please pray for me. What I should have said is that my sharp tongue has caused a lot of problem in this congregation. The pastor leaned over to Pastor Orrin whispered, now she's talking. Daniel didn't blame nobody else. He joined right in there saying, it's me, I'm part of this group. Daniel 9 verse 8, Open shame belongs to us, Lord, to our kings, our leaders, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Daniel did not make the slightest excuse for Israel's sin. He knew the fault belonged to Israel and Israel alone. Psalm 25, 3, Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. We are prone to make excuses for our sin. And often, even make excuses for our confessions. Well, yeah, Lord, I know I did this, but. Oh, Lord, I know I did this wrong and. Oh, Lord, I know I did this, however. We just make those excuses for our sin. That's not what God wants to hear. Daniel 9, verses 9 through 14. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness because we have rebelled against him and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has violated your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has gushed forth on us. 
along with the oath which was written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. So he has confirmed his words, which he's spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring us great disaster for under the entire heaven, there has not been done anything like what was done in Jerusalem, just as it was written in the law of Moses. All this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our wrongdoing and giving attention to your truth. So the Lord has kept the disaster in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all the de- his deeds which he has done. But we have not obeyed his voice. Daniel realized that even in his judgment against Israel, God was totally faithful to his word. Deuteronomy 7 verses 9 and 10. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, and keeps His covenant and His faithfulness to a thousand generations for those who love Him and keep His commandments. But He repays those who hate Him to their faces to eliminate them. He will not hesitate toward Him who hates Him. He will repay Him to His face. He promised the curses that would come upon disobedient Israel as stated in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Remember when they're standing on the mountains and the blessings and the curses. If you are obedient, these are the things that will happen. And they were great. Oh my gosh, who could have asked for better? However, if you are disobedient, you can expect this to happen. And that list was long. And it got harsher and harsher as it went. What they're they're experiencing now was part of what it told them in that list of curses. They are experiencing God's faithfulness to his word. Daniel confessed his sin and the sin of Israel. He remembered the sin of prayerlessness. Even when they faced great trial and calamity, Israel still did not make their prayer before the Lord. When we sense trial or difficulty, it should be the first thing that drives us to our knees to go to the Lord. And if it doesn't, it should be a wake-up call because we have a cold-heartedness in our heart. When we're in trouble, God is the first person we should go to immediately. Daniel 9, verse 15. And now, Lord, O our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made a name for yourself as it is this day. We have sinned. We have been wicked. As Daniel prayed, he remembered the Lord delivered Israel out of the hands of Egypt. He remembers the Old Testament standard of God's power, that deliverance from Egypt. A lot of these people's ancestors had witnessed this power. They have seen God's power even during Daniel's time of what God is doing. Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20. And what is the boundless greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. For a Christian today who have not physically witnessed the power of God like they did in the Old Testament times, 
This is as powerful as it gets for us. We are supposed to be a people of believing by not seeing. Do you need to see the hand of Christ, His feet, His side, to know that He died and rose? Or do you believe it? He was raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand. That's the standard power of God in our lives. Daniel 9, verses 16 through 18. Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because our sins and wrongdoings of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of taunting to all of those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas. And for your sake, Lord, let your face shine upon your desolate sanctuary. My God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our pleas before you based on any merits of our own, but based on your great compassion. Daniel prayed as a patriot of Israel, but a patriot more to the kingdom of God than Israel. When I look at how, what's going on in our, our United States today, all of the craziness that takes place, who am I more faithful to? A political party? My dearest and nearest and closest friends? Or am I more faithful to God? I can tell you right now, political parties come and go. God's there forever. Same with friends, they come and go. I'm loyal to the kingdom of God. And Daniel asked for all this according to your righteousness. John 14, 13, and whatever you ask in my name, this is what I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It was as if Daniel prayed, Lord, I'm not asking you to do anything against your righteousness. I'm praying this in advance. I'm praying this to advance your righteousness. And glory. This was the heart of Daniel's plea. He knew that God's people needed much, but all their need could be summed up in this. They need God, he needs, they need God's face to shine on. They need God's face to shine upon them. Daniel's prayer was consumed with the glory of God, not primarily with the benefit of man. His purpose in prayer was to see God's work accomplished and his and his cause glorified. It isn't wrong to pray for our own needs. Jesus invited us to ask. Give us this day our daily bread. He knows that there's things that we're going to want, that we need, that we think we need. And it's okay to ask for it. We need to have an even greater passion for the glory and benefit of God than our own needs, though. Sometimes we pray for God to do a great work so that we can be known as great workers for God. We need to pray for the sake. We need to pray for the sake of the Lord's cause, both in our words and in our heart. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. 
This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we, as if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Even before the time in the New Testament, Daniel prayed on firm New Testament ground. His confidence wasn't in his own goodness, but in God's greatness and goodness. This is what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. Those aren't words we tack on at the end of the prayer just for a nice little shove. If you don't believe it, it's not going to happen. If you're saying it just for show to make you look better, it ain't going to be heard. Daniel was not great because he prayed. He was great because his prayer was necessary expression of great trust and dependence on God. Everything comes from him. A lot of, a lot of religious people, and I love that religious people, spend countless hours praying. Lots and lots of time praying. But it means nothing to God because it's not rooted in the goodness and righteousness of God. Self-righteousness or self-trusting prayer is no power before God. It means nothing to him. Daniel prayer asked for mercy and that it be granted. He knows that God can do it. He pleads that God will listen and act on this request rapidly. Don't delay. Don't wait. Please, God, do it now. Now he saw the appointed day approaching. He could pray in faith that God would make haste to them and not delay. Exodus 32, verses 11 and 12. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians talk saying, with evil motives he brought them out to kill them on the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent of doing harm to your people. You see, Daniel, he pleads the same way, just like Moses did. These people who are being punished are your people. They're your people, God. When the Babylonians and the Persians see what they are experiencing, your mercy and goodness are being looked at as well. After all, these people are called by your name. And then probably my favorite part of this whole prayer. Daniel 9, verse 19. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. My God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. God, show the world how great you are. Save your people. Restore them. Show the world how great you are. Lord, you own them and have a vested interest in them. Won't you take them back to your house? They are yours. Save them. Deuteronomy 26, verses 18 and 19. And the Lord has today declared you to be his people. 
his personal possession, just as he promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will put you high above all the nations which he has made for glory, fame, and honor. And the Lord shall be consec- and that you shall be a consecrated people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. There are many times that we feel as if we are being punished for our lack of obedience. And it may not even be something that we're necessarily overtly involved in. Just like Daniel and the people. Suffering in a world that treats God as if he were not in charge. We need to remind ourselves constantly that we are, as it tells us in Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may be glorified with Him. As children and heirs, when we pray, we really need to use Daniel's example. Praying and understanding and praying earnestly. That's the way God wants it. Let's go to prayer.